Well, don't you wish in some ways there was an instruction book for 2021? <laughs> um, you know, you opened up your Christmas presents. Maybe you got some electronic stuff that came with instructions, like the 32-inch curved Samsung monitor that I got for Christmas, by the way, I had mentioned before. And if you're like me, you take those instructions and you just cast them aside and you try to figure it out on your own. And then when you can't, uh, which happens often, you grab the instructions and then you go back to figuring out how to use it. Well, of course, the Bible is, in many ways, an instruction book. It's more than that. Sometimes you hear the Bible described as a love letter. That's true. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't explain the whole Bible. Um, or a, his, a historical record of the life of Jesus. Of course, that's true. It's law, well, certainly, especially uh, much of the Torah. It's prophecy. It's a lot of different things. But part of it absolutely is instruction, thankfully. <laughs> We're going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, really, this is where we get to the meat of the letter. Uh, the first part was mostly welcome and thanks and talking about uh, Paul talking about what happened there in the city of Thessalonica and how he's sending Timothy and how Timothy has come back and reported how things are going and how Paul wishes he could get back but he couldn't. Well now he kind of gets into the, the heart of what he's trying to get at in this letter. Uh, the instructions. In fact the word he uses for instruction here is actually a military word. It's as if a, a lieutenant or maybe a, a, a sergeant, a drill sergeant, is calling his, his soldiers to action. This is what you need to do uh, as those who follow Christ. This is what you need to do as those living out the Christian life. And what instructions would you expect him to give on the Christian life? Well, look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God. Who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, that may seem like a, just a, a, a lot thrown at you at once as to what we're called to do, but there are sort of categories, as we'll see. First, verses 1 through 8, which is the lion's share of this section to pursue holiness. 
Then verses 9 and 10, to love more and more. And then finally, in verses 11 to 12, to work diligently, which becomes a major theme later on in this letter. So the first thing he says is to, to pursue holiness. He urges them to holiness. Uh, he starts off by saying that you need to persevere. So keep doing what you're doing. But then he says, this is the will of God for you. And I love that because so often people ask the question, what is God's will for me? It's probably one of the most common questions I get as a pastor. How do I know God's will when it comes to dot, 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 whatever the situation is? And here's what we can say 100% of the time in any given scenario, anytime you ask that question as a Christian, what is God's will? Your sanctification. What God is doing is making you holy. Is making you more into the image of Christ. Whatever the situation is. What is God doing here in 2020, 2021 now? He's making us holy. What what is God doing in the sickness that I'm struggling with and this chronic pain that won't go away? He is working towards your sanctification. Regardless of the situation, trouble with your job and transitions in your life, he is making you more like Jesus. He's shaping you for all eternity. But he's talking here specifically, uh, he deals with sexual sin. He says, I'm calling you to abstain from sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia, which we get the word pornography from, written porne, that's the idea of pornography. So here he's talking about sexual sin in general, and he says, I call you to control your own body. We are spiritual beings and physical beings, right? Every one of us, we're not just animals like Uh, dogs and cats and pigs and horses and all that we are yes we are physical uh, but we are also spiritual and all of us have been given a vessel literally a body and we're called to then use that to the glory of God there should be self-control God's will is not just do whatever feels good in the moment but that there is a sense in which you abstain from sexual sin he says not like the Gentiles actually in Thessalonica in particular, this was an issue, the cult of Kabiris. Um, uh, this is a quote, so for you guys who are sens- sensitive ears here. The cult of Kabiris was present before the first century AD and was in all probability the chief cult in Thessalonica during the time of Paul. The figure of a male sexual organ was a fertility symbol commonly associated with the Kabirite cult and phallic rites were practices as a part of the cult to promote fertility. So that's the world into which Paul here writes to the Christians and says, God calls you to purity. You're surrounded by folks who go to work, after work, stop by the local temple, engage in you know, sexual immorality with the cult prostitute, and then go home to their families. But you are to be different. You are to be pure. You are to seek holiness. I like what he says here. No one should, should wrong his brother, brother or sister, I think is the idea, in this matter. If I could just say, sexual sin is not a victimless crime, as they would say, right? Certainly adultery hurts your own family and hurts the family of someone else. Many, many men struggle with pornography, men in particular, and I would say the same. It's not... A sin that doesn't hurt anyone. First of all, the whole pornography industry is destructive and hurtful to many, many women. But even, friends, if you are 
doing something that is sinful in and of yourself, all those who love you, who know you, who depend on you, who are in relationship to you, are hurt by the fact that you are self-destructing in sin. He continues and says, the Lord is an avenger. In other words, God sees and he knows all. There is no sin that you sort of snuck by everyone because God is omniscient and sees and knows all. God who calls us to holiness. And as he reminds us, his Holy Spirit is in you. He's with you. This idea of calling, being called to holiness, uh, maybe needs a little more explanation. To be holy literally means to be set apart. So not like the world, not like the Thessalonians that don't believe in the Lord Jesus, not like the people in Haverhill or New England or in America or around the world who don't know the Lord. You are, you're different. You are set apart for God. Um, I've mentioned this before, but vessels in the temple could be holy. A shovel can be holy. And you might say, well, how is a holy shovel, right? And Teddy laughed, which, is, which does sound a little strange to us because we don't quite connect it to the root. It's holy because it's not to be used for common use. It's used only for the temple. It is set apart. We're called to grow in being set apart for the Lord and used by him and only by him. Actually, that term of of holiness or being made holy uh, is used two ways in the Bible. And we get ourselves into trouble because we mix these two. (laughs) Or we focus on one and we leave out the other. Um, First, the first way, and perhaps the most important way, is God makes us holy in Christ. And he does it through the gospel, through the death and resurrection of Christ as a sacrifice in our place, we become saints. That's a super common use to describe Christians in the Bible. You are a saint. A saint never, not even one time in the Bible, refers to an elite group of Christians. A saint always refers to every Christian who is made holy by the gospel. So that's one way it's used, and we absolutely need to see that throughout Scripture, that it's often used in this sense in which we are, in our standing, made holy before God. There's nothing you can do to add to that holiness, nothing you can do to take away from that holiness. It's done by God, and you stand in it. However, God is doing something else as well. He is now in real time, in experience, making you holy in practice. And this is a holiness that we're called to strive for. Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's something you pursue. And even right here, this is his will for you. Your sanctification. And then lists out what you do towards the growth in that sanctification under the grace of God. Do we ever reach it? Never. Uh, There are some Christians, of course, who believe that we can actually reach, on this side of heaven, a state of sinless perfection. Uh, We can reach a, a state of holiness. In fact, John Wesley, the great John Wesley, believed that this could be attained. He never claimed to have obtained it himself. I think he was wrong. I think he underestimated what sin is. Sin is not just our acts, but our very thoughts and our very motives. And in that sense, friends, we will never be perfectly holy. We'll never be at a state in which I can say every 
thought, every feeling, every motive throughout all day and each day I live loves God with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength and loves my neighbor as myself. Never. Not on this side of heaven. But we grow. We strive for this holiness. Friends, the first instruction here is to pursue holiness. It's God's will. I love that. You want to know what God is doing in your life, this is what he's doing. He's making you like Jesus. What's he doing in this pandemic? What's he doing in my grief? What's he doing with this sickness? What's he doing in our country right now? Well, among many endless other things, God is making his people holy and set apart for himself. Certainly the direct context here refers to sexual purity. Uh, By the way, I'd like to clarify this because so many questions often come up. The Bible's standard is just simple. It's never changed for 2,000 years. It's never changed for thousands of years before that in ancient Israel. Uh, Sex is created for the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. It's not about what we're against. It's this is the definition and the purpose for which God created it. So not hateful of anyone, not trying to tear down anyone else, but I'm just defined. This is how we define the very purpose of it. It's never changed, not once, <laughs> not throughout all, not through the since God created male and female in the Garden of Eden, which is by the way what Jesus said. God created them when asked about marriage. He said God created them male and female. When we celebrate a wedding, we are celebrating the very intended relationship that God has created towards sexuality. Of course, holiness applies to beyond that. Um, That's what he's talking about here, but holiness applies to our speech. Are we set apart when it comes to gossip? Are you just joining in the water cooler conversations? Or now it would be water cooler, would it be? The Zoom side conversations, I guess. Is there any difference in your joking, and I love joking, by the way, but your joking and the type of joking you hear every day that tears people down? Are you honest? Are we holy in what we watch on TV and what we read and the music we listen to? And there is no set standard. There is no, that's bad music, that's good music. Uh, every person has to come to an understanding of what's good for their own heart and soul, uh, where God, they have the freedom in Christ to listen to and to watch and to read. Understand it's a process. You and I will mess up. <laughs> not you might, or I'm hoping that I might not mess up in the next week. You will mess up. It will happen. And then the question is, what now? And when you mess up in any of these areas... You can allow Satan to use that to drag you down and tear you further and further away from the Lord and say, I'm just going to beat myself up and say, I'm never going to be, never going to be good and and it's never going to work. Or you can trust that Christ has already saved you and made you holy, repent of your sin, get back up and ask God to give you strength to get better (laughs) and to continue to grow and to grow and to grow. Second instruction is a little shorter. Verses 9 and 10, love. Love more and more. Love more and more. Uh, Like he says here, um, I'm speaking concerning brotherly love. That's the Greek word Philadelphia, from which both the place in um, Pennsylvania as well as the ancient city of Philadelphia got its name. And here he's talking really about friendship. 
Uh, Philadelphia doesn't, it's not the same as agape, that deep sort of charity love of the Christian faith, but are you sort of friendly, you know, brotherly love among the Christian brothers and sisters? Not talking about romantic love, not talking about the love of a husband and a wife, not talking about even that agape, self-sacrificial love, but is there sort of fellowship? And he says, I like what he says here, he says, I don't even need to really write to you because you're doing this. You're, you've been taught by God. Uh, so in other words, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He's already leading you to do this. And I hope that's true of you and me. Um, hopefully, as you've been a Christian for longer and longer, you're loving more now than you were before. I think that's true of me. I'm far from <laughs> where I probably should be, but I think I can love people better now than I did before. Uh, I think in the past I could have helped people, you know, help people further with an arm's length away without much worry and now there's a concern and care and what's happening the holy spirit is teaching you to love more and more does that mean you don't need the bible you don't need a pastor or preacher or books or no of course not he's writing a letter to give them instructions so that's certainly not what he's saying but he's saying that the holy spirit is there in the church in thessalonica and he is teaching them to love more friends hopefully again that you see it and paul saw it in their actions. Their love is shown, he says, to the brothers throughout Macedonia. Macedonia is the larger region. And their love has sort of resonated out of their city and into other cities and towns in the region, like Berea. Their actions are speaking for themselves. And he says, I urge you to do this more and more. I love that. Not, not, you need to add something new that you're not doing. Not you need to stop doing something that you are doing and shouldn't do. Just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and I think, friends, that's some good advice and maybe is the advice that you need to hear today as well. So much of the Christian life is just perseverance. It, it's, it's, you know, some people ask, what am I doing wrong, Lord? Maybe nothing major. I mean, we're all sinning and they're all areas of repentance. What am I not doing that I need to do, Lord? Maybe nothing new. Maybe what God is calling you to do is to keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep going to church. Keep loving your family. Keep going to work. Keep trusting in the Lord Jesus. Keep loving your neighbor. The Christian faith is never about some sort of secret knowledge or some higher tiers that you need to achieve. Maybe God is not calling you to be a pastor. He's not calling you to be a missionary on the other side of the world. He's calling you to keep walking. Keep forward progress. Keep moving. Keep going on the Christian journey. Don't backslide. Don't swerve. Don't stop. Don't slow down. Just keep going. My friends, I hope that's true of us again. Let's love more and more. Let's love one another in our church family. That's sort of uh, one theologian described, described it as the classroom, right, for love. If we can't get this right right here in the classroom, forget it. How are we ever going to really truly love the world? Uh, but are we taking care of each other? Are we meeting each other's needs? Are we calling up one another and helping those who are hurting? Are we friends? Is there Philadelphia right in our own church? And of course it doesn't end there. It turns then to outreach. Are we doing the same then? We take that love, that true Christian fellowship, and then bring it out. 
Are we taking that into the community? Are we showing ownership of this area? This is the city, the town, and the, the greater region that God, God calls us to demonstrate Christian love towards. In his providence, our address is not an accident. We are where we are for a reason. Are we loving those around us? And of course, to missions, um, are we loving even those we've never met? And those maybe we will never meet this side of heaven. Are we loving the unreached? Do we want them to know that Jesus is Lord? You know, the best thing you can do for this world is to see unreached people reach for the gospel. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean. The greatest good, and this is not even that hard to prove in world history, the greatest force for good in this world has been the Christian faith. Hospitals and orphanages and schools and equality between men and women and the care for children and the care for all of life from the elderly to the unborn and it all comes as part of the package of the Christian gospel that goes forward. And there are whole swaths of this globe that have yet to even hear the name Jesus. You want to do something truly good, life impacting eternal value support missions to the unreached and that those people groups include people on the other side of the globe and right here there are groups right here in our own country but again friends i would just encourage you don't stop don't run out of gas i think sometimes that you know we can wear ourselves out and if that's you get filled again <laughs> but the love of Christ. You know, if you're at that point where you're saying, Am I, I'm, I'm empty, I'm running on empty, I'm running on fumes, Pastor Rick. I got nothing left to give. I'm spent. <laughs> Remind yourself of the love of Christ. Know that you and him are holy in status already. Be full. And then take that fullness and continue to love. 11 to 12, this last section, third instruction. Work diligently. Work diligently. Sort of like a shotgun of short commands right here. Uh, but the last instruction, if I had to summarize it, is work diligently. Um, we'll, he will speak a lot more about work in the rest of this book and into the next one in Second Thessalonians. Uh, that's because some people are literally quitting their job and waiting for Jesus to return, which we'll get to that later on. Um, but he's basically encouraging you here to work at your job and continue to make income <laughs> and continue to make money to support yourself and to support the mission of the gospel. He says here to aspire to live quietly. Do you love that? Uh, we're not trying to make a scene. We're not trying to get worldly fame. We're not trying to be celebrities. We just want to be faithful to the Lord and live quietly. Work with your hands. Build something. Repair something, create, clean, construct, farm, dig, demolish, whatever it is that you do for your job. And like he says, that, that you would walk properly before outsiders. It strengthens and enhances our witness as Christians when we go about our work and do it to the glory of God. That you might depend on no one, and again, that may be a reference specifically to some Christians who are quitting their jobs and are therefore depending upon others to survive day to day. Uh, he's saying... Don't do that. <laughs> Go to work and put some bread on your table. Uh, but notice that work is a God-given and good thing. 
And uh, this, this, is, this is an important point, friends. Um, there is a, there's a, there's a value to our work. And the point here is not that you have to literally work with your hands um, if your job is an accountant or a manager or a scholar or a writer or a psychiatrist or whatever it is. The idea is to, to get busy working. Um, one, we had this study last night, and one sister said that you know, her job is to manage your credit collections. And, and the truth is our society would not survive without someone who manages credit collections, right? We need, that's a necessary part. Otherwise, we can't give credit to people if there's no way to enforce the collection of it. Every job has a value that is necessary. Without janitors, we can't continue to live as a society. It's necessary. And here's, friends, I would just say, I wonder if the church, uh, and I'm not speaking specifically of First Baptist, although us included, has done a disservice here. And hopefully we're learning. That we've we said the real emphasis is Sunday morning. And maybe Wednesday night. But what you do 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, is really secondary and not important. And I wonder, friends, if we've messed that up. That really our work, what we do for the majority of our time, our waking time, is a ministry in and of itself. That our mission work is... Our mission field, in a sense, is those right around us. Can you imagine those in Thessalonica who say, you know Titus. He goes, he's part of that belief in Jesus thing. But man, is he a good stonemason. <laughs> he knows his job and he works hard. Yeah, but he's got those weird beliefs. Yeah, but have you ever seen the way he works? Maybe we should pay attention to what he has to say about this Jesus guy too at the same time. The way we go about work speaks, as it says here, to outsiders as well. Just looking at these individuals, let's follow the instruction book. Live quietly. Don't try to be a show-off. Don't try to be some big celebrity. Don't try to make much of yourself. If God, if God makes much of you, and for whatever reason you become well-known or you become very influential at your job or whatever the situation... So be it all to the glory of God. But our, our, our desire is not to be a show-off. Mind your own affairs. Take care of your family. Pay your bills. Get rid of your debts. Support your local church. Work diligently. Get to work. Work hard. Be good at it. Retire someday and then volunteer in your community and in your church. <laughs> Just continue to serve. And depend on no one. Uh, again, certainly, you know, if you need help, get help. And that means from the government, certainly there are people who should be helped by our government. And there are people who should be helped from their church. And we, in the Board of Deacons, would say, we want to help you. We re- especially want to help those who really need help. So if you need help and you're in a hard point... Don't even hesitate to ask. We want to help you. That's the, what the purpose of it is there for. But if you don't need help, don't take money from the government. Don't take money from your church work. And the world is watching. What does it speak to outsiders, seeing what Christians do? Are we big mouths, show-offs who are stingy? <laughs> or are we working hard and diligently in serving the Lord? Friends, here in 2021, let's take some instructions for the Christian life. 
As I, ever, as I said, sometimes we like to, uh, well, maybe I think a lot of us do. Maybe some people are not this way, but you buy a product and then you throw out the instructions or you just disregard them. Don't read them. And then you try to figure it out. And sometimes that works, and sometimes you actually mess it up even worse, right? And uh, now you've got to figure out how to bring it back to what it was when you first got it and first opened it up. You touch the wrong buttons, you put the screws in the wrong place or whatnot, and it's time to go back to the instructions. Read it, and then you think, oh, now that makes more sense. <laughs> Do that with the Christian life, friends. For those who are not in Christ... Our primary message to you is very clear. It's none of this. Our primary message to you is this, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, you and your household. For those in Christ, let's pursue holiness. Let's learn to love more and more. Let's work diligently to the glory of God. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the calling to persevere, to to just keep going, to keep walking, to keep moving forward, to love more and more. Lord, I, I just thank you for a church that does love, that does care, that wants to see people come to know the Lord Jesus, wants to see people's needs met. And I know that there are many who are just feeling worn. They're just feeling empty. Fill us with a sense of your presence. Fill us with a renewed grasp of the love of Christ. And then, with that, help us, Lord, to pursue holiness. Help us to love more and more. Help us to work diligently. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the truth of your word. Strengthen us, Lord, as we've gathered in your name. Through Christ we pray. Amen.